Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au. Predict Australia's score with a crystal ball. And it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals. All thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Sports Day for Kia. The Kia Sportage. Drive car of the year. Welcome to Sports Day. Nice to have your company, me, Carl Lingdon, and Mark Reddings with you tonight. And what another huge day it's been around the AFL trade table. There's been some big moves made. A lot of them were already forecast, but it's actually getting the job done. And in the end, uh, there has been, as we, I think, have predicted, some extraordinary movement. One double three eight eighty two. if you'd like to join in. And let's update that sport. Thanks to KO. Watch the T20 Cricket World Cup on KO Sports. Skeet, good evening to you, mate. Here Going. Hello, Carl. Good to be with you. Yes, uh, less than 24 hours to go before the end of trade week, trade fortnight. Feels like trade month, really, because it's just gone forever. But it's been fascinating, actually, at times. And look, some of the numerations and the future picks and the points uh, have confused many, including uh, yours truly, mm. uh, trying to work out where it all lands. But today, of course, the big the big domino to fall was, was Brody Grundy going for pick number 27 to Melbourne, uh, Jack Bowes to Geelong, Jack Gunston to the Brisbane Lions, Billy Frampton, Collingwood, Jacob Hopper, Richmond. Uh, most are going where, I guess, people had forecast uh, a week or two ago. But uh, there's still a bit to play out. And, and tomorrow, is uh, I reckon there's one more exciting chapter to write, including Josh Dunkley and Rory Lobb. Yeah, and Tom Mitchell. I mean, he was being talked about as going to Collingwood. There's some talk about Jager O'Meara tonight, that uh, he might be on the move because of uh, some conversations that have taken place between, I think, Mitchell and Mitchell, and also... O'Meara and Mitchell around midfield time. And also, Jago O'Meara, you talk about that. The Fremantle Dockers have been linked with a possible overture for uh, Jago O'Meara. Now, whether that's the case or not, uh, Dockers supporters, one double three eight eighty two. we know he's a class player. He's been a bit injury prone, let's be honest. Mm. Is he the type of player that Fremantle needs at the moment in 2023? Well, Fremantle got Josh Corbett. Uh, which we, we had speculated. They'd, they'd also held discussions with Jeremy Sharp. I'd be interested to have a chat to our first guest tonight in Rowan O'Brien as to whether uh, there's any interest in, in him maybe there too. But um, certainly when you, you look at what was done today, and I, I just want to ask you, where did Geelong get all their money from? Or are they paying all these old blokes nothing now because they had front-ended contracts and and late in their career? Because at the end of the day, I think that one of the most um, obvious things was revealed by Chris Scott in saying that Joel Selwood was actually not playing for much, which may well be the case. Uh, and, and, you know, they, if they're paying for an average price, which is around 350 grand, that's what an average AFL player gets. So at the end of their careers, if they're playing for that sort of money, you can understand. But Jack Bowes goes there today, along with Pink's pick seven to Geelong, because that was the sweetener to pick up his contract, which was fairly hefty. Yeah, we spoke to Matty Rendell last week 
from Trade Radio, and I asked him exactly that. What, why is Geelong such a, a destination club? And obviously, success is a is a barometer for for people being attracted to a club. But he also said, look, Victorians, if they want to be out of the the, the Melbourne CBD and out of the the, the so called spotlight of, of of Melbourne, they go to Geelong, which mm. is a one team town, as you know. They just love their footy. He said the other aspect that's worth noting is that there are other financial opportunities for footballers down in that part of the world uh, because of uh, the one-team town mentality. And I guess the same applies here to, to the Dockers and the Eagles uh, being a two-team town. So, yeah, look, Geelong has done a really good job. Uh, bear in mind, uh, after the prelim final last year, I don't think there's one person that forecast the Cats would come back and win the flag nah. this year. They have done above and beyond what most people thought. And it's interesting to see that, as you say, the methodology with the age demographic, how that has worked for them. I don't think that's possible on a regular basis to, to go ahead with that type of age demographic and win premierships. Maybe I'll be proven incorrect. <laughs> well, but, <laughs> yeah, well, we've done this a few times already, haven't no, we? Well, Ge- written them off. Well, Geelong has, has well, they've won one in, in, in the last yeah, but 10 they've years. Yeah, been, they've been ultra competitive. I agree. Right? No, I agree. And, and so they are, they are breaking this stigma of, of, uh, of age and, and retaining older players. I think that that's what's been something that has, has proven true. And, you know, they've reinvested sort of in, you know, if you look at Bose, I mean, Bose is not a, a young, young player. I mean, he's about 24, 25, and he's got 80-odd games under his belt. I mean, he's a ready-made player, and he's an early draft pick, too, from the, the year that he was taken um, back in 2016. So it's not like he's coming there as a, a bloke that's uneducated and no good. He can actually play, which just astounds me. They just continue to be able to roll these guys in. And and when you look at their premiership team, Reece Stanley comes from another club. Zach Tui comes from another club. Isaac Tyson, Smith. Tyson Stengel. Isaac Smith. North with medalists, yeah. And, and, and the list goes on. They're, Patrick Dangerfield. There's, there's a hell of a lot of those players that played in that grand final, Jeremy Cameron, that actually came from other clubs to be part of, you know, what uh, Geelong have been able to achieve. But a lot of those players you mentioned weren't just run-of-the-mill players. They were exactly. top-end talent. So that that's the extraordinary element. Well played to Geelong. Look, I think the other club that's done pretty well so far is Richmond uh, with getting... To Taranto oh, yes. and Hopper in. Uh, they've already got a, a fairly handy midfield. I think Soldo is staying at Richmond from what I Yeah, he's heard. still being speculated. Oh, yeah, so, still being, so, same as Jack Graham. Like, all of a sudden, Jack Graham, he was he was having a chat to Port, Port Adelaide. Adelaide. Now these two other young blokes are in, so he's been talked about again, but that's the way it's going to be. Yeah, and Port Adelaide, of course, Jason Horn francis uh, Junior Rioli. So they're a team looking to make a quick uh, travel north up the up the ladder. I reckon they'll do that uh, in 2023. Irrespective of those two pickups, I think Port Adelaide will be big improvers. It sounds like that for any chance of Rory Lobb getting to the Western Bulldogs, it all hinges on what happens with uh, potentially um, the Josh Dunkley deal going to Brisbane. It sounds like that's what it may rely on. And if that domino falls early tomorrow, then there still might be an outside chance for Lobb, even though I, I'd suggest that they'd like to keep him. And, of course, Lloyd Meek uh, wanting to get somewhere else as well. I, I mean, the Dockers would be... Not keen to lose both of those two players, given that all of a sudden they got Jackson and uh, the big fella Darcy. They need to have a backup, so they'd be wanting to keep one of those guys on their list, you'd think. Yeah, Meek very keen to get to Hawthorne. We know he's reading the sea leaves about what opportunities there are in the ruck next year. Um, Lloyd, Meek, yes. Uh, Rory Lobb, that is going to be, I think, one of the more fascinating storylines of tomorrow, whether he gets to the Western Bulldogs, how that happens. Josh Dunkley, as uh, his former coach, well, it might be his current coach, Luke Beveridge said, I'll have to pony up Brisbane, and so that will go down to the line. So they're the two big ones tomorrow that will have a huge impact on the last day of trade. 
good week. Righto. Let's go to the phones. One double three eight eighty two. If you'd like to join in at any time, uh, we will be joined by Ron O'Brien, the West Coast Eagles National Recruiting Manager, after our next break, which is fast approaching. G'day, Jerry. Yeah, good day, Carl. Good day, Scoot. How you going, boys? Um, look, there's, there's one thing I just don't understand that happens every year, year in, year out, uh, particularly and more so with AFL, all this trade period and everything. A, a contract, a contract's not worth the paper it's written on. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. You could sign on for three or four years and halfway through your contract, the club's saying, oh, no, we're going to, we're pushing you out, mate. You're going elsewhere. I mean, what if the player decided to stand on his digs and say, hang on, I've got a four-year contract here. I've still got two years to run. I'm not going anywhere. They must have something in the contract that there's some some way out that the club can push these players on. But yeah. I mean, otherwise, the contract's not worth a pinch of salt. It works both ways, Jerry, doesn't it? We're hmm. seeing this with Rory Lobb, who had two years of a contract left and still wanted to go back to Victoria uh, or go to Victoria to continue his career. So it definitely works both ways. i just ask you this, Carl, and uh, try and take the footy element out of it. If you were approached, for instance, and you had, say, three years to go on your contract with 6PR and you were uh, courted by, say, the ABC, for instance, do you think you'd be allowed to just walk away from a contract pretty comfortably and just go to another employer in the same industry, in the same field, basically, no. as opposition? No, because it's in my contract that I can't. <laughs> there you go. So therefore, so therefore that wouldn't happen. But at the same time, I think that, look, to a point there is still a lot of loyalty in the game. I think we hear a lot of players say it, that they want to be one club players, and I think Brodie Grundy was one of the first to admit that today. I mm. mean, he was, you know, he was um, quite adamant that he wanted to be uh, prided on being a one club player, but in the end it hasn't worked out that way because uh, he, he's got a, a job uh, and at a very well-credentialed football club in Melbourne at the moment, given where they're sitting right now, he, he fills the hole that Jackson's left, so he slots straight into the team, which is something that he may have had to have worked a hell of a lot harder for back at Collingwood, given the evolution of a couple of the guys behind him in his absence. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, even someone like Griffin Lowe, uh, lower profile, he didn't really want to leave Fremantle, but the dollars, I think, and the opportunity, well, not so much opportunity, but certainly the, the dollars that were on offer elsewhere. Uh, the Alistair Clarkson element was a factor as well. But, yeah, there are players, either either the star factor or those lesser rungs that are now realising that this is this is a small window of opportunity to earn some money. Well, and I, and I think from Logue's uh, perspective too, he was looking at it, well, Jai Amos, you know, if is he up and fit? Is Tabiner up and fit? Where do I fit into the forward line if all of the existing uh, key forwards are up and fit? And uh, on the other side of things, down back, if, if Cox and, and Pierce and all of the other tools that have been playing in defence, that's why they pushed him forward because there wasn't a spot mm. for him in defence. If all of a sudden all the guys are fit up forward, where does he fit in? It was interesting though that he polled really well in the fairest and best for Freo in their Doig medal. I found that quite intriguing. Look, he was definitely a player that Fremantle wanted to keep, but in the end, uh, he got a better deal and, uh, he's, he's gone for more opportunity in defence, uh, I think is essentially the conversations yeah. that he had with Alistair Clarks and I think that's where he like to play. I think he's a natural defender. I think that's his lockdown role. He does that well, and I think that's what he'll do at North Melbourne. And uh, he'll play 22 games if he's fit and healthy. Craig's in Greenwood. Hi, Craig. Hey, boys. Hey, I've got a question for Rowan O'Brien. Um, ask him where, where he thinks Caleb Smith and Sam Gilby will go in the draft, because our last pick's 26. Both of those players are some players we need. They're both half-backers, very quick, really good young players. Um, I know we've spoken to him quite a bit, so I'm just wondering now we've got any four picks in the draft, um, if, if it means we're going to miss out on one of those guys. Uh, Caleb Smith, you're saying? I know I've seen a bit of Caleb. He's very good overhead. Yep. 
And uh, yes, yeah. uh, he's a. Yeah, the other one is Sam Gilby. Oh, Sam Gilby, yeah. Um, but he broke his leg, yeah. Broke his leg. It's very, very super quick, beautiful left foot kick. Would have been a first-round pick or end of first-round pick if he hadn't broken his leg. Yeah, no, fair call, Craig. Look, the, the ones that will go early, from a, I guess, from a WA perspective, uh, we know that um, Ruben Jinby, outstanding, may well be the, the Eagles' first pick, even though he's a I think he's a Fremantle Docker supporter, but he may, may well go locally as, as, a, as an early pick for West Coast. Uh, Darcy Jones had some great times at the Combine. Jed Buzzlinger, by the way, uh, outstanding defender. So, look, there's, there's a, a good... There were 12 who went across to the Combine, and I'd suspect there's going to be a, a good representation of of uh, West Australians in the draft. There's also a state combine this weekend where 12 more West Australians who are, are looking towards a draft get their chance to impress. Well, we'll clear a commitment, come back. Rowan O'Brien will join us on the other side. I'd like to actually get him to, to actually try and tell us how it actually works because <laughs> uh, in his world it must be pretty bloody complicated. I reckon it's nine and after six. Sports Day for Kia. The Kia Sportage. Drive car of the year. Welcome back to Sports Day. Great to have your company. One double three eight eighty two. Thanks to those that have got involved already, and you can join us uh, for our trade radio update. Thanks to Continental Tyres, engineered in Germany, proven in Australia. And Rowan O'Brien is a bloke who's been working for the West Coast Eagles in recruiting for a long, long time. He's the National Recruiting Manager. He's located on the East Coast, and I'm glad to say that he joins us here on Sports Day. Rowan, welcome, mate. How are you? Going well, thanks, Carl. Uh, thanks for having me on. Now, uh, we would just like a nice, simple overview of how trades and future trades and picks and all of this sort of stuff work. Can can you explain it to our audience in simple terms? Gee, how long have you got, mate? Simple <laughs> terms uh, might be a touch difficult. But, look, what it boils down to is um, obviously uh, we had a few outcomes in mind leading into this trade period and with our individual circumstance there was the the trade for junior rioli and if possible to maximize any outcomes around the national draft so it was a bit of a difficult process to work through and what made it more difficult was the currency that port adelaide had in any potential trade so in the end uh, it was an advantage to stay involved in the four club trade and uh, get some picks for this year two first round picks and then uh, bring in some future selections as well, which gives us a bit of a head start for next year. And having a draft selection with one digit next to the name as opposed to double and above, that must be nice because the Eagles haven't been in that position for a while now, Rowan. No, we haven't, Mark. I think our last uh, selection inside 10, I think might have been Andrew Gass. Yes. Uh, which is around 12 years ago, and we haven't had um, two first-round selections for or probably close to the same period, I would have thought, uh, maybe even a bit longer. So, um, yeah, it is nice to have some access to the high-end talent. So there was a few listeners last night uh, upset that you'd gotten rid of pick two where you could get a lifetime player to your football club. If we use some of the recent examples uh, uh, that, that we could easily roll into the show tonight. Uh, so when you considered what was available this year? Were you thinking that for what you could get with the couple of picks you got now that you could get something similar? Uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, we looked at it and it'll probably be pick two becoming pick three with Will Ashcroft likely to get a bid in that early part. And then, you know, from three to eight, uh, we think it's fairly even, probably even a little bit beyond eight. 
So to split the selection and get access to two players instead of one uh, and try and get an outcome uh, in the national draft, which is our aim for you know last year starting and, and this year as well, uh, we thought it was a really good opportunity and hopefully we can access two really high-end talents. What is your focus? Because I look at, uh, say, the holes in the team right now and uh, down the spine starting to look a little bit thin, uh, particularly at the front end, given uh, what has taken place in recent time with Josh Kennedy and his testimonial uh, on Friday night. So he's part of the football club. Nick Natnui, obviously. We've seen a couple of younger blokes get exposed to the caper. Jack Williams is still a developing player behind the scenes. He's a tall key forward. But um, you'd have to be in the market for a key forward if there's one there, wouldn't you? Oh, look, we're in the market for, for the talent, Carl, and certainly key, key forward fits into that. We think Oscar Allen coming back will help us in that area this year, but uh, you're right, you do need to give those boys a little bit of time to develop. Uh, so if there's a, a potential key forward that's there in that, that range, they'll be a consideration for sure. Rowan, two-part question. I'll throw a name, Ruben Jinby, at you, who did really well at the AFL Combine. He is more a mid from East Perth, and get your thoughts on him. But also, has the club changed its stance, or is it still very much pick the best player, or is there a feeling that picking a Western Australian just because of the go-home factor is still in the equation? Uh, Mark, picking West Australian boys is always a priority for us, if we can. In a perfect world, uh, we'd be able to pick as many Western Australians as possible. Uh, if we feel like there's a, a better talent from outside of WA, we'll still pick that player. Uh, I've heard a lot of comment around this in the last few days, and I guess it's basically around the, the Horn Francis situation. But we've had a, a really good record over the years retaining our uh, players from outside WA. So we won't be changing the way we go about it. And, you know, if there's some good WA talent there, that's that's always attractive to us. It's amazing, really, Ron, when you have a look at the history of the West Coast Eagles, because rarely have you lost a player that you've wanted to keep. Chris Judd is probably the bloke that I can uh, reflect upon that uh, left when West Coast wanted to keep him. Um, but outside of that, uh, there has been very, very few, if any. And then attracting blokes from, say, outside West Australians has been quite thin as well. We've seen Jack Redden in more recent times turn himself into a premiership player. He's chosen to uh, retire. And now you've got Jaden Hunt, who's broken the mould. And there's a number of West Australians who are probably going back the other side and a few that have moved, say, down the east coast. Bobby Hill, Billy Frampton, who goes from South Australia to Collingwood, of course, and then Logue and Lobb and Acres. You know, Lobb's still looking to get out, of course. So there's a few examples of West Australian boys now going back to the other side where they started their AFL careers, interestingly, as young blokes. Uh, yeah, there is, Carl. It's, it's an interesting one when you look at it. There's examples for all sorts of arguments in this. And I think a lot of it potentially boils down to opportunity a lot of the time and, and guys are willing to go anywhere to get an opportunity. But you're right. Um, we have retained most of our guys that we've wanted to. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's quite an attractive place, Perth, obviously. So we've even had some boys who, have left the club to go back and, and finish their career in Victoria and then move back to WA. So, um, you know, whilst we have a focus on WA players, it's a, WA's a pretty good selling place um, for, for guys from the eastern states. Hey, Rowan, given where the club finished this year, you're always going to cop some criticism, a couple of whacks along the way. But as far as the list goes right now, and, and the draft hopefully will, will add some depth to it, is it as powerless as what people say with regards to the talent and the youth 
that is at the West Coast Eagles, or is that just symptomatic of people looking at the ladder and the results this year? Uh, I think we'd like to think it's it's probably not as bad as can be made out. This year was was one out of the box, and we have to own that. I think the circumstances around some things this year were nothing like I've ever seen before. Uh, but we do think there's some talent coming from underneath. Obviously, uh, Brady Hoff, Rhett Bazo, Greg Clark all got some opportunities this year out of last year's draft. Campbell Chester was tracking really well. Uh, and then when you throw in Oscar Allen, uh, Dom Sheed, uh, I think Dom played one game and Oscar played no games. Tom Cole will come back. Uh, hopefully we get a lot more out of Elliot. Yeah, we think there's some improvement there to be to be made, yeah. And, and yeah, and then you've got, uh, well, on top of that, you've got McGovern, Nat Nui, Gaff, who, uh, you know, towards the end of the season, they were they were walking on one leg, Gaffy's ankle and, and Nick Nat's knee, so they obviously had some issues there too. And I think Geelong showed us what a, an old list, and, you know, the West Coast Eagles have a lot of uh, better credentialed older players, that if they can get themselves all fit in a pre-season, which was how things were potentially tracking, that it could be turned around pretty quickly. Yeah, Carl, look, I think it can, mate, but, um, you know, we've got to come back and hit the ground running. As I said, we, we need to own this year. And the only way to put that behind us is to uh, improve next year when we get the opportunity. Hey, Rowan, final day of trade week tomorrow. Any little sneaky surprise from West Coast or are you... Uh, Jeremy Sharp? Got the got the cue in the rack. Uh, very unlikely, Mark. I think we'll be doing anything tomorrow. Um, Jeremy's obviously a player with a lot of talent, but he's contracted to Gold Coast, and I'm sure they want to retain him, so I don't think anything will be happening there. So that's it. Done and dusted. Your work is done then. Now you've just got to focus on the upcoming national draft. Yeah, which is good. It'll be really exciting. Uh, we've got some great picks there, so we're really looking forward to it. No pressure, Rowan, of course. Uh, <laughs> I'm just thinking of blokes like yourself. If it goes well, it's uh, that's your job. If it doesn't, then you cop uh, a lot of heat along the way. But I suppose that's, that comes with the territory. It does, Mark, yeah. But, uh, no, we're very lucky. And I think uh, this year um, it's the best draft team we've had for a little while, so we're really excited and looking forward to what we can do. Just before I let you go, uh, just back to the question I asked you at the start about trying to explain it, which uh, to, uh, still to me it's about as clear as mud. But why, why did the AFL make it so complicated? I mean, you've been doing this for a long time. They introduced a point system and now you can trade future picks. I mean, wasn't it just simple to just work it out each year as it goes and trade players for players and that be it, rather than you know, uh... looking into the future, so to speak? Yeah, that would be a lot easier, Carl. There's no <laughs> question about that. I think probably what's happened is that um, the players want more player movement, which is fair enough too, and and uh, the AFL might share that view. So to get more player movement, you've got to increase ways to do it, and I think that's how some of these things have gone about. But I understand your perspective. Uh, it can be as clear as mud to those that don't live in it every day. Yeah, absolutely. Good on you. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks, boys. Rowan O'Brien, West Coast uh, National Recruiting Manager there. Our trade radio update, thanks to Continental Tyres, engineered in Germany, proven in Australia. Search Continental Tyres today. Uh, off the back of that, Eagles fans, uh, is it uh, any clearer? How do you feel? One double three eight eighty two. Love to hear your opinions next here on Sports Day. Sports Day for Kia, the Kia Sportage Drive Car of the Year.
Now, Skeet, uh, one of the big uh, news stories uh, today, and, and look, Oliver Peterson was talking about this a little bit earlier, and we'll have a, uh, a guest uh, joining us tomorrow night on the program, hopefully, but uh, UFC 284 hitting Perth, uh, RAC Arena, Sunday the 12th of February 2023. Big announcement, State Government have tipped some money in, big event that's going to be broadcast uh, to all parts of the globe, given uh, how uh, well-supported the sport is around the world and look previously when it's uh, come to town it was something that Colin Barnett uh, ruled out because he wouldn't allow people to actually fight in a cage going back to when he was Premier of our state but um, I think from memory it was down at the uh, hotel in Mount Lawley what's uh, on Beaufort Street um, where where the Premier actually went and... Not and the Inglewood. Ma- I reckon it was the Inglewood. Yeah, I reckon it was the Inglewood where he made the announcement previously that uh, we were going to have USA. Yeah, of course. And Well, uh, it's big news. Now, you and I, let's be... You'll put, put our hands up here. I'm not a huge UFC man, and I never have been, but every time I drive past a venue before when there's a, a, a bout on or a big card on... The numbers think, what is going on here? Mm. They just love, the fans are as fanatical as anything I've ever seen. Um, and of course, the RAC Arena, uh, in February, uh, Alex Volkanovsky, uh, shot of him and of course, uh, others will be headlining this, this big act. But will you go? Will you be interested? Does it, uh, tickle your fancy? Should it be allowed? Look, I, oh, I've got no issue with it, uh, taking place in this, this city. In fact, we've got a great, uh, little batch of Australians coming through now and West Australians performing well at UFC level, so there's there's a bit of excitement on that front, uh, but you know, let's let's embrace events coming to Perth. We mightn't like everyone, but this is an opportunity for, for those that love their UFC to get along and, and support a big time sport coming to the West. Yeah, well, I reckon there'll be a lot of people there. Jack uh, Della Maddalena, uh, yep. and uh, looking forward to having a yak tomorrow. Casey O'Neill also uh, another one of the locals that is going to be fronting up for that, and uh, the great. Bet uh, Benetti is uh, on the scene, uh, and it'll be good to actually have a chat of a few of the stakeholders because, man, it's just brutal. It's a brutal sport, and you've got to be brave. I mean, I, I know that, you know, when you think of, say, some of the antics and you think about Conor McGregor, he's someone that's very quickly springs to mind, but um, to actually have the courage to step into the ring where it's pretty much anything goes, and, you know, the it's it's about, you know, it's a little bit like boxing, except it's everything else. You can use your... Your elbows, you can use your your knees, you can use whatever it takes to poleaxe your opponent. In the AFL terms, it's high contact, severe <laughs> impact. Uh, and I can tell you two words that you and I, well, certainly I'd use very early in my bout. <laughs> Tap out. <laughs> well, there's, there's no concussion rules in that, in that particular sport, so that's uh, one thing. The other big news today is that uh, former North Melbourne senior coach David Noble, he's going to join the board of the AFL Coaches Association. Uh, that is uh, this month because uh, we've seen Jeff Walsh, who has stood down as a board member of the association due to his recent appointment to the executive general manager's position of the St Kilda Football Club. So uh, David Noble on the move into a position of on the AFL coaches board. So that is uh, an interesting little scenario there, Skeet, and looking forward to seeing what sort of impact that he can have. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, tomorrow, last day of trade week, we've mentioned Jay Garamira, the prospect of him being put on the table, being swooped upon by the likes of maybe the Fremantle Dockers have been mentioned in dispatches there. Uh, the one that hasn't been done yet, uh, apart from the other, other two we mentioned in, in Dunkley and Lobb, is Ollie Henry. And there's a standoff between Collingwood and Geelong on that one. So there's a bit to be played out on that front. 
Uh, and before you know it, Carl, uh, it'll be draft time. And, and as you said to me outside, uh, less than three or four weeks away before the fixtures come out for next season, it just does not stop. The AFL has this planned to the day after grand final day to make sure that the headlines and the Herald Sun and the West Australian and, of course, on our radio stations are, are all talking about their... AFL competition. Yeah, well, that uh, that that Billy Frampton deal, that's what I was talking to you about, uh, to Collingwood for a future round three. Oh, I was told that before I went away on holidays, back on the 27th of September, that that deal was done. Now, it was only announced today for whatever reason, and so it, it has actually surprised me, and probably because it didn't affect anything else. I think that, um, you know, the, the, the AFL is able to stage manage a lot of this because they have to finally tick off on the deals to make sure that it's correct and it's done in the right way and make sure that no rules are broken and that it all fits into the system, which I still don't understand, even on the back of having a chat to Rowan O'Brien. I gave him a chance at the start and at the finish, and I'm still no clearer on that. Unless you're actually working right in amongst it, then you're probably never going to either, to be perfectly honest. But... Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really surprised that that only came out today. And what it actually means now for a few of those other clubs in that around the points and the future, and particularly Brisbane, and this is where it's going to go, I think, right to the end with Josh Dunkley, is because when you've got, um, I think, Fletcher and Ashcroft as the two youngsters that they want to potentially bring into their club and they're tipped to go real early as father-sons or at least take a lot of points, then they're going to have to keep a few tricks up their sleeve. Yeah, Will Ashcroft particularly, uh, son of Marcus, is just a gun. I've not seen any vision of him. I'll put my hand up, but I, just listening to, to those in the East who've seen him play in uh, Victoria and, and seen him go about his work. He, he's a first-pick player next year. So if the Brisbane Lions do get Dunkley across the line, they'll get Ashcroft, that's a given. They become a prelim finalist into a very much premiership contender, at least on paper. Now, that doesn't always uh, turn out uh, in the right direction. You have to do a lot of work to get to that point. But uh, the Brisbane Lions are one club that will have bolstered their midfield. And um, well, they've lost Daniel McStay, but look, they've still got the likes of Hipwood, uh, Joe Danaher. Uh, they've got enough tools there to suggest that they can be a very powerful side, as have Geelong. They've done really well at this point as well. So uh, two of the three, Sydney's uh, stabilised what they've done. They're not going to lose too many players uh, during the, 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 the off-season. So, yeah, the, the, the best teams uh, are not, uh, at least visibly, not going to be heading north in terms of what they've got on paper anyway. You know what's quite incredible is that it still feels like it's at winter outside with the seven-degree mornings that we've had. It's still been quite chilly, right? Yes. Because I've been up pretty early and going for a bit of a walk and trying to do some exercise. Uh, well... It's cricket season, and we've got another cricket match tomorrow. We haven't even mentioned it on the program tonight, and, of course, uh, the Poms were too good for us here. Am I allowed to say that? Yeah, I just did. Uh, they were too good for us here, and um, it was a, a high-scoring match. I, I wasn't overly impressed by the crowd, but is this one of the reasons why? Because all we've done, for the most part, is sat here tonight and talk about the AFL and the big machine that the AFL is, and it is cricket season. We've got plenty of matches that are underway in various forms of the game. Uh, the uh, Cricket Australia have just announced that uh, the, the women's big bash is about to get underway, and we've just mentioned it and we're almost 45 minutes into the show. Yeah, look, 23,000, oh, I wasn't overly disappointed. I know Australia, England, two big-name countries. Australia didn't pick their best lineup. A few of their fast bowlers left behind. It was a good game. I was here. It's 400 runs scored, as you know, in the, the mm. match. So it was quality, and Alex Hales and Josh Butler, uh, terrific. Uh, David Warner, outstanding. It is, I know it's a series of such, but it is still a warm-up for the World Cup, and I'm hoping when the World Cup does crank up that we do get uh, support because we are the world champions. Uh, Twelve months ago, Carl, 
we almost were embarrassed to say that we had a T20 side. We were, we couldn't fire a shot at that level. Uh, we went from, I think, rank six or seventh or very lowly to, to winning the championship. So, uh, I think it'll build, but you're right. Footy is, if not a 12 month a year, uh, sport in terms of attention and eyeballs, it's up near 10 months a year now just because of the draft, because of trade, because of fixtures. And I think that's what footy fans want. They want more and more, even in the off season, because cricket, cricket, we love. You and I love our cricket. Yeah. But does it, does it drive discussion, debate, unless there's a controversy? Well, I, I want to know. Well, it, I, I think it used to. Like it, it just used to be, it used to be cricket, footy. Cricket and footy. <laughs> that that's was you, it. That's you and me. And now there's basketball and now there's soccer and now there's all these other NFL. sports that are broadcast into our living rooms. And I just wanted to know, are there going to be, are there some English supporters? who are going to go along, because it's next Saturday the World Cup gets underway. England play Afghanistan here, right? Uh, that's my understanding. I think the India game is the only match that's being played here that's actually sold out, and I think that all the other games that are going to be played here in Western Australia are still up for grabs. And what about, uh, we mentioned two days ago, no, yesterday, in fact, mm. I was walking from the car to here, and I thought, there's a lot of noise. Is that is that Trinity, uh, like the, a school carnival, my old school? No, it was the Indian supporters going absolutely berserk because they are so fanatical and they had a few thousand there watching that uh, game against the WI-11. So, I uh, know, the, the Indians and, and those that have come across or live here, they will get into that World Cup big time. The big question I'm asking uh, is that are you excited about the World Cup, which gets underway next weekend, because uh, the build-up to it, has been a little bit slow, and hopefully we can start to ramp it up a bit in the next week or so. But uh, your calls after this, it's 14 minutes to 7. Sports Day for Kia. The Kia Sportage. Drive car of the year. Welcome back to Sports Day. Nice to have your company and our trade radio update. Thanks to CMC Markets. Trade your way with CMC Markets. Visit cmcmarkets.com.au. For those that have just joined in on the program, winging your way home from work, Billy Frampton to Collingwood for a future round three pick. Of course, he's a WA boy, 21 years, uh, 25 years of age. 21 games is all he played, though, at the Crows. Jack Bowes and pick seven to Geelong. That's right, Jack Bowes and... Pick seven. Just remember, he was a pick ten in 2016. He's 24, played 83 games. Not bad for a future third round pick. Uh, that's uh, all Geelong have had to give up for him and take on his salary. So that's probably the biggest uh, sticking point in the deal. Jack Gunston to Brisbane. That deal was done a while ago, but because he's a free agent, 30 years of age, easy deal for the AFL to announce. That's for a round three, pick 48, and a future round four selection. Yeah, but the Brisbane, I mentioned the, their forward line next year. Charlie Cameron... Uh, Hipwood, yeah. uh, Danaher, Jack Gunston, and of course, Lincoln McCarthy. Fl- they've got something to like about them, the Brisbane Lions moving forward. As I said, they are a team still with the window open. Yeah, well, they, they lost McStay and yes. they get Gunston in. So they, so they sort of get a, a like for like in a way. I mean, Gunston's got a couple of uh, years on uh, Dan McStay, who of course got uh, his wish and that's to Collingwood. Uh, Brady Grundy to Melbourne. Now, Collingwood only get picked 27. That was the bit that surprised me, given he's 28 years of age, 177 games, kick 60 goals, a uh, couple of all Australians in there as well. I think that. Melbourne's got a fair bit of his salary. I'm not sure how that's been divvied up, but uh, there's a bit of dollars or some dollars to be uh, spent on uh, Brody Grundy between now and when his contract comes to a conclusion. And then the one that we've been talking about for a few weeks now got finally done, and that was uh, Jacob Hopper to Richmond. Uh, GWS get a future first-round selection and selection 31. Uh, along with Hopper, uh, Richmond get picks 53 and 63. So, yeah, I'm just... Uh, I'm, I'm actually astounded 
excited at at Richmond being able to get both Taranto and Hopper, who have been a couple of the keys, and they're not old. They're still in their mid-20s, so they still got plenty of footy ahead of them. Yeah, think. and the Tigers, uh, a team with... Uh, you thought maybe their uh, their time at the top was over. They uh, struggled to to replicate it in the last uh, couple of years, but gee whiz, they were uh, unlucky in the elimination final, and they may well come back uh, with a bang. Uh, Wayne's in Cardinia wants to talk a bit of cricket. Hi, Wayne. You there, Wayne? Yes, mate. I was at the Wacker yesterday afternoon. Yep. And uh, yep. fantastic atmosphere. You know, there was a couple of thousand uh, Indian fans as well as a few of our guys, and he wouldn't want to go to move, but try to get an Uber yes, sir. All the drivers with the cricket. But yeah, I just want to call out the Indian team. You know, um, apart from a couple of guys that acknowledged the crowd and a couple of autographs during the warm-up, after the game, when the Indian team walked right past this group of probably a thousand people, not one of them turned to the crowd and waved, and the, and the, and the mob was screaming. You know, it was just such a poor effort, I thought, from the Indians. So that's all I got to say, boys. Thanks, Wayne. Uh, Vera Coley, uh, of course, is in town. Um, I don't know, Carl. I, I didn't see. I didn't didn't uh, have any reports of the Indians sort of snubbing their fans. But uh, um, yeah, look, it's always nice if you can acknowledge them. We see it in, in soccer where you know you go off the off the ground and you, you clap your supporters' footy the same. So yeah, it would have been nice if there was some acknowledgement. Maybe there was that uh, Wayne didn't see, but uh, because we weren't there, pretty hard to judge. Yeah, pretty hard to comment. Uh, if you were there, one double three eight eighty two. Happy to uh, take uh, more of your calls. But uh, Vera Corley was actually signing bats, so I believe. So that that's was that's a very uh, that's what that's what the fans want. Yeah, exactly. So if uh, if he's doing it, then you'd think that there'd be a few of the others uh, following. Um, and the Indian game, as I did uh, say, for uh, the upcoming World Cup is actually sold out in our market. So uh, I think that's pretty significant. Uh, knowing that they are super, super popular and are going to be very, very well supported any time that they come here. Uh, Manly owners telling uh, that uh, Desi's fate is all but sealed after a significant meeting. Desi Hasler we're talking about? Yeah, Anthony Seabold has been the name that's bobbed up as a possible replacement. I might even go back. There's a bit of uh, heat still going on about the, the Manly uh, jumper, uh, the pride jumper that was uh, caused a furor during the season. And, of course, they uh, left out almost half their side because of it. Mm, exactly. So... Uh, uh, there's no doubt that uh, those those sorts of issues, though, now are, are going to be very divisive. There's no doubt that what we've seen, and, and I reckon we've only put our toe into the water on this front. You know, we, we've seen pride round the jerseys this week with the girls, something that West Coast um, got embroiled into previously, didn't they? Yeah, and that was just not having a jumper up to speed with, with other clubs. And that, that was a minor, uh, in my world, indiscretion. But, yeah, the, 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 the eyeballs and certainly the social media is so hot on clubs and representatives. All right, we need to clear a commitment. On the other side, we are going to come back and tell you what's coming after the news next. Sports Day for Kia, the Kia Sportage, Drive Car of the Year. Welcome back to Sports Day. Thanks to Kia, Australia's most one of the Kia EV6 and Kia Sportage Cars of the Year. Straight out of the news, we're going to have a chat to West Australian cricketing young gun Sam Fanning, who made 59 against India yesterday. Steve Rossich, the Victoria Racing Club CEO, will join us. Matt Clayton will update us when it comes to Formula One and Josh Y when it comes to the NFL. And we'll touch base with Peter Harris, who is the Bowls WA State Manager. So stay with us. Straight after the news, we'll get into Sam Fanning here on 882 6PR. Sports Day for Kia, the Kia Sportage Drive Car of the Year. 
Welcome back to Sports Day. Nice to have your company and to kick us off this hour. Thanks to Repco Authorised Service for expert car service. Book into your local Repco Authorised Service Centre. And a bloke that held around the Indians down at the Wacker Ground yesterday uh, is Sam Fanning, a WA boy who joined us here on Sports Day. Sammy, welcome, mate. How are you going? Yeah, going well, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it was good fun yesterday and obviously a great experience, something of that. I'll never forget with a great car down at Wacker. Yeah, it was good fun. Yeah, now uh, I, uh, I I know that there was a fair bit of noise coming in and, uh, and around the Wacker ground. Now, you fell about 13 runs short in the end. Uh, seemed like, uh, or sounds like, because we were working actually on radio at the time when you were continuing to play on down there, but uh, seemed like that it turned out to be a pretty good game, right? Yeah, it got really close in the end. Yeah, I didn't think we were at, um, seemed like we were in a bit of trouble when we were 4 for 10, but it was nice to... Uh, yeah, get close, only lost by 13 runs in the end. Um, it was just great playing against those international players and of that standard. Um, something that a lot of players learned a lot from. And, yeah, it was nice. A few of our young boys did pretty well in Hamish McKenzie um, with a bat and ball. And then, obviously, you got the quality of Jai Richardson, Jason Berendorf. So it was great for them to get some exposure against um, some of the best in the world. So, Sam, you scored 59 or 53. Obviously, T20, you've got a different change of gear than what you would come out with in a Sheffield Shield match because against the Blues on a pretty tough deck by the sounds of it, uh, 21 of 77 rocks. So uh, the change of environment and and Shield compared to T20, what what sits better with you? Um, yeah, it is a big difference, obviously. you got, like, the red ball going to the white ball um, and obviously striking out at uh, 19 is a lot slower than uh, what you know in the T20. That's what I did in the Sheffield Shield game, but... Um, it's nice to go out there and play that shorter format um, and show that you can go a bit of a quicker rate. It's just trying to keep the same processes, just watching the ball and trying to hit every ball for four or six. And if it's not there, then you work work your way down to hitting it for four, hitting it for three, two, one, zero. Um, but yeah, just trying to watch the ball at the end of the day and yeah, at the end of the day, it's just a red cricket ball or a white cricket ball coming down here. It's just a different colour, so trying to keep it as simple as possible. I like your style, uh, but what were you thinking, mate, when you'd seen uh, a few blokes who are pretty well-credentialed cricketers in short and Hardy and Turner go for ducks, those last two? What were you thinking when uh, you came to the crease with the team struggling? Yeah, um, to be honest, I just got padded up and then I saw we were a four for ten and I didn't have much time to think, so I just walked on out there and that was probably a blessing in disguise, just yeah, reacting to the ball. It was swinging around and they're bowling pretty well. I think they like the extra bounce, the Indian bowlers. Um, yeah, we had to rebuild myself and Cameron Bancroft, and I think we did that pretty well. And then um, Hamish McKenzie came to the crease, and we got ourselves into a winning position. We needed, I think, 40 or five overs, which is definitely doable. Um, but, yeah, shame that, that I got out, and then um, we just couldn't crawl over the line. But I think we got into a great position and gives the boys a lot of confidence going into the season so that we can do it against um, a full-strength Indian team. Sam, as we know, just recently debuted at Sheffield Shield level. Tell us a bit about your background, uh, where you hail from and uh, how you found your way to domestic first-class cricket. Yeah, so it's a bit all over the place, actually. Um, I lived in uh, London, uh, hence the accent, uh, for 10 years of my life. So when I was 3 to 13, lived there and then um, moved to Sydney and lived in Sydney until I was 18. And then I was fortunate enough to... Um, get an offer over here to play for Western Australia um, to be contracted. And, yeah, I thought it was a great opportunity to move across the Perth and um, after school move away from home, which is um, what both my parents did. Um, so, yeah, just to grow up, um, become a little bit more independent and mature. And then, yeah, so I've been over here for four years now and I've absolutely loved it. I call Perth home and 
it's very different to living in London and Sydney. It's a lot slower pace, um, but I love that. I think it's a great it's a great place, and um, definitely, yeah, somewhere hopefully I'll be for a while. You earned your spot, though, mate. I mean, let's face it, uh, 867 runs at 51 that you uh, made during the 2021-22 Alcohol Think Again Premier Cricket uh, first grade season. And, um, you know, from a rookie contract to your full promotion now, um, for for you, what is now going to be your main focus? I mean, you're still only a young bloke, I think only 21. Is that right? Correct me if I'm wrong. So what's going to yeah, be the focus yeah. for you, mate? Is it short form cricket? Um, do you, do you rather longer form of the game? Sheffield Shield? Where does it, where does it sit for you? To be honest, I love all forms of, um, cricket. Um, bit of a yeah, cricket tragic. I love the longer format. Um, and then I also love the, sh- um, the shorter format. So I think it's just trying to be a three dimensional player and, play all forms and wherever I play, I guess I'll just try and do my best. But yeah, I think for me, it's just keep trying to get better. And I've learned a lot playing against India and a lot playing in the Sheffield Shield debut. Um, so just trying to take that all in and soak it all up. And it's just a great opportunity opportunity to implement some of the things that I learned into my training and then to come back a bit better and a bit stronger the next time I get the opportunity. Speaking to Sam Fanning, WA cricketer who's making his mark, uh, Sheffield Shield debut recently and uh, hit 59 or 53 against India in a T20 practice match at the Wacker on Monday. Sam, a nice mix, a lovely mix between some of the experienced players in the WA squad and the youth coming through. We know Teague Wiley has scored a century, Lance Morris has got... Uh, so much potential. You've got yourself. You've got Aaron Hardy. There's a, a really good mix of of um, young and exciting players to to go in with those those older heads. Yeah, hundred percent. I think you've hit the nail on the head there. Um, there's so many mature older players. You've got Sam Wyman, Sean Marsh, Mitch Marsh. You've got so the list goes on. You've got so many players that you can just learn from. Who's got a wealth of experience. Um, and the great thing is they just want to share that with you. You go up to them, you ask them a question, um, they'll be more than happy to answer it. They'll give you more, um, so much feedback. And on top of that, sometimes they'll come up to you and be like, oh, what do you reckon of this? Or how do you reckon you can improve your game? And I think to have a culture like that, the whacker is just unreal. Um, it's so welcoming. It's so accepting. Um, and they just want everyone to do well. And I think most importantly, yeah, they're great cricketers, but they understand that they've got to be a good person as well. And they really try and um, build that um, at the Wacker into the culture and I think that's why it's such a great place and why I've been so successful over our recent years. Now it's interesting that they're starting the Sheffield Shield games on Mondays mate Uh, and you get another Monday start taking on Victoria after getting the job done over New South Wales. Yeah that'll be that'll be unreal at Junction Oval over in Victoria. Um, Yeah well we've got a we'll have a pretty strong side and yeah they're starting on Mondays and then you finish the game on Thursday and then you play great cricket on Saturday. So, yeah, lots of cricket uh, coming up in the next coming weeks, which is um, which is great for us. We just get more opportun- more opportunities to get to put scores on the board, and um, just for especially us batters, we get so much time in the middle, which is um, you can't ask for anything more than that. So, what do you do on the side, mate, uh, when you're not playing cricket? There seems like there's a fair bit of that going on. How do you do uh, to what do you do, sorry, to take the focus off? Yeah, I think it's important. If you're thinking about cricket 24/7, you're gonna go, you're gonna go crazy. Um, so it's definitely important to have a switch off. And I'm at uni myself part time, so that definitely keeps me busy. Just doing two units there, um, studying commerce. So I really find that's a great switch off to um, to go to that. And then just catching up with the boys, to be honest. Um, going out and playing golf. The weather's getting a, a bit better, so maybe try and head to the beach. But I think it's so important to have that switch off as. You can get so caught up in cricket if you're doing great or if you're doing not so well. Um, it can sometimes be a bit of a trap. So definitely having that 
um, yeah, to be able to switch off is definitely really important. Thanks, Sammy, for having a chat to us, mate. Take care and all the best against the Vicks. Cheers. Thanks so much, guys. Have a good one. Good on you, Sam Fanning there, who uh, made uh, a nice 59 against India in that practice match at the Wacker, uh, which was only yesterday. Uh, thanks to Repco Authorised Service. Uh, you can rely on your local Repco Authorised Service Centre. We need to clear a commitment. And on the other side, we'll be heading to Victoria and having a chat to Steve Rossich, who's the Victoria Racing Club CEO. Spring Racing Carnival action is upon us. Sports Day for Kia, the Kia Sportage, Drive Car of the Year. Welcome back to Sports Day. Nice to have your company and fantastic to have the CEO of the Victoria Racing Club, which I'm sure is going to be filled with fans as they return to some of the best spring racing in the country. And Steve Rossich joins us here on Sports Day. Steve, welcome, mate. How are you going? Very well, Boris. Nice to chat to you uh, from Melbourne and on the cusp of our carnival and the spring racing is well and truly up and running here in Melbourne. So, Steve, uh, it's been because of the pandemic and all sorts of issues on that front. It has been a restricted or no crowd situation for, I think, a couple of years now. What's it like to be in charge of something that's going to be a huge beast, particularly Derby, Cup and Oaks? Well, it's a privilege and a great responsibility. It's my third uh, Melbourne Cup carnival since I've been at the VRC that First year in 2020, there was no crowd. Last year, there was a restricted crowd of only 35,000 of up to that amount over the four days. And and this year, we're planning for a a normal crowd, which is just super, just shy of 300,000 people across the four days. So great anticipation, great interest. And it's only uh, two and a half weeks away from us, so on our front doorstep. Yeah, so Steve, you're a, a footy man. The crowds haven't quite come back as expected, say, in Melbourne this year. Are you very confident that that won't be the case with their, your racing crowds over the Spring Carnival, uh, that they haven't got into a habit of sitting at home and, and watching it on the TV? Look, the, well, firstly, the interest in the sport of racing certainly grew over the pandemic, not because... Um, people couldn't come. That was a restricting factor, but um, it was one of the few sports that kept going. So that was great for the sport and great for engagement and building new audience. Interestingly, what we're seeing across the board, including Mildfield in the AFL and talking to compatriots in that um, area, as well as other sports and events, is there's a real flight to quality. So people want to attend the big events, the must-see action, and you saw that with the Grand Prix with record crowds. You saw it with great interest uh, particularly in Melbourne across the AFL final series, and we're expecting that at the at the Melbourne Cup Carnival for Super Days of Racing at Flemington. You know, record prize money over thirty four million dollars across the four days, which is hard to believe, really. And the interest is strong, and we're seeing a crowd of somewhere between two hundred and fifty and. 300,000, probably just depending on the weather on what the actual number is. Now, you go from no crowd to 35 to 300,000 over the course of those few days. Uh, how are you going with staff, mate? Because I've been watching the news coming out of uh, the East Coast, mate, and there's a lot of businesses that are still struggling to get people. Look, it, it, it's a challenge for all businesses, and an event of that scale does have, it challenge, have its challenges. At the Victoria Racing Club, which is responsible for Flemington, we put on race days throughout the year, as most people would know. We had 15,000 on course just a few weeks ago for Turnbull Stakes Day, a really super day, and our staff resourcing is back to pre-pandemic levels and servicing our club and, and what's required in terms of putting on the show at Flemington. Where the challenges come a bit is with our service providers, so for catering and security and cleaning and those types of areas, 
And it's not about accessing staff. That's certainly possible, but it's getting that real trained and quality staff. So there'll be some challenges there, but we're ready for that. And I think people also understand that if you're at bars and restaurants, it's not quite at pre-pandemic service levels, but we're hoping to really deliver on that over the four days. We're speaking to Steve Rossich, the Victoria Racing Club CEO on Sports Day. On a racing perspective, the International Raiders have been such a, a welcome addition. Some say, oh, they're taking away prize money from the Australian Gallopers, but is there going to be a similar number of overseas connections and horses coming over as we saw before the pandemic, or is we're not quite at that level yet? Well, interestingly, the the final shipment of international runners arrives tomorrow, so it's hot on our doorstep. Um, We're likely to see somewhere between three to five internationally trained runners in the Lexus Melbourne Cup. That doesn't include New Zealand runners, which I find quite bizarre because last time I checked, that wasn't they weren't Australian, but uh, they're not classified as internationally <laughs> trained runners. And also those horses that have been bought by Australian interests and trained by Australian trainers are not classified in that number. So it actually swells to a far greater number than that three to five that will likely take the field in the 24. Um, but interest is really strong internationally. It's fascinating, and I was lucky enough to get across to Ascot in June you know, when, uh, you know, stayers are winning significant races in Europe, the first thing they ask those stayers is, are they coming to Australia to compete in the Lexus Melbourne Cup? So interest is as strong as ever. There's certainly challenges with travel and cost and quarantine and, and the rules, but uh, interest is very strong. Yeah, I saw you with the top hat at Royal Ascot. Uh, actually suits you, Steve, uh, and you, you look very much at home at uh, that, that magnificent venue on the other side of the world. <laughs> Anything that covers my head probably does me a favour. So... um not my natural habitat, but it is a similar dress code in the committee room at Flemington across Derby Day and Cup Day. So it'll get, uh, get it pulled out of the wardrobe for those two occasions and very much looking forward to it. And interestingly, the interest we're seeing, and probably as a, an ex-West Aussie and plenty of contacts there, plenty of, um, plenty of people coming across from Western Australia for the carnival who haven't been able to do it. Yeah, over the last few years as well. I hear, I hear someone that's in this conversation might have become a member recently. Is that true? Well, the transaction hasn't been completed yet, Steve, but I'm, I'm certainly going through the right channels to try and uh, become a member of that esteemed company. And uh, uh, <laughs> jumping on the train to go to Flemington and jumping off uh, when, after you get back to the city, you're in a different state of mind sometimes. So you just try and make sure you've got uh, a beautiful members pass to get in. It's one of the best memberships you'll find in sport, I've heard. It certainly is. It's, they're amazing facilities. <laughs> you're welcome, Mark. I'm, I'm looking forward to signing your application <laughs> form. And uh, it, it's actually the largest racing club membership in the world so uh quite a good little stat there as well so welcome to the club mark when as soon as you get that in we'll take your your money and you'll enjoy it i'm sure how is the competition we've got the caulfield cup being run in melbourne this weekend amongst a, a whole host of other races you you look up the coast uh, and we know how new south wales have been approaching this and they've got the everest which is a uh, keenly uh, contested race um how's it all looking on that front now Look, it's great competition. Um, firstly, the, the industry is very collegiate here in Victoria. Uh, the clubs and the and the racing body, principal racing authority and racing Victoria work very well and collaboratively together, which is nice to see and trying to drive the sport forward. And there's good competition up north in New South Wales. And certainly with my background in football, that's welcomed. Um, it only makes us all get stronger. And I'd rather be competing with people that are in uh, the sport that we're competing in than, than other sports. So, uh, and, and, and the facts are that Victoria and New South Wales are two of the largest 
racing jurisdictions in the world with incredible prize money and incredible athletes, both equine and, and jockey and training talent. So, Steve, that leads me into a quick question about compar- comparing footy to racing and, and being in a CEO position. Are there any similarities between the two sports? You've been, of course, CEO at the Fremantle Dockers and now in your role in Melbourne. Look, there is, Mark, and, and that was one of the reasons I was keen to come across to Melbourne and and uh, take up this opportunity at the Victoria Racing Club. There is a lot of similarity, and I love the facility side. So being responsible for Flemington as well as the club uh, has been terrific. It's a major event, generates just under half a billion dollars of economic contribution, the carnival, the four days to the Victorian state economy. So great linkages in the government and great responsibility with that. Um, and the one big difference is... There's nine winners on a normal Saturday race day, 10 on Lexus Melbourne Cup day. And when you're running an AFL club, the W's and L's tighten up a bit. There's, uh, you can only win, uh, you can't win every game and uh, someone's trying to beat you and that's not the same here. And I'm, I, I miss that in one breath, but I also quite enjoy it. Uh, just swinging back locally, mate, uh, we have seen a number of East Coast trainers nominate horses for our pinnacles over here, which is uh, about to get underway in the not-too-distant future once uh, your main events are done, which is probably the most I've seen just about in history, uh, to be honest, Steve. The, the interest out west has um, increased um, yeah, to levels I haven't seen before. That's great, and it's um, what I have noticed, which is which is super. At a Flemington race day, you know, we finish you know five thirty, six o'clock um, Eastern time, and then the attention turns to Perth, and uh, so I think that you know collegiate nature turns to other states, and everyone gets their time in the sun, and our, our time in the sun is the four days that are soon upon us in the Melbourne Cup Carnival at Flemington, and it's really pleasing to see that then turns to to Perth, and I think the Pinnacles initiative is a great one. So congratulations to, to Perth Racing for that as well. And uh, little birdie told me you might have had a close look at the Waffle Grand Final with West Perth. Oh, uh, just uh, it days in the Just sun. enjoying hey. the moment, uh, Sauce. Uh, the, the Falcons getting the job done for the first time in nine years. Two teams I'm, I'm uh, quite um, interested in are Subiaco and West Perth, and Subiaco have had a good lick of the ice cream, so to see the mighty Falcons get up at Leadable Oval was terrific. It was Nice to watch that online uh, just last weekend and big crowd and tight game over the Tigers. So well done to, to Neil Fong and, and everyone concerned with uh, the West Perth Football Club. Thanks for your time, mate. We're out of time. Uh, we appreciate it. And uh, I know that Scoot and you will be uh, having a, a couple of quiet ones together and look forward to having a chat to you again in the future, Steve. Thank you. Thank you, gentlemen. Good on you. Steve Rossich, uh, the Victoria Racing Club CEO, joining us here on the program. Uh, get behind the Perth Wildcats this season as well. You head to ticketech.com.au right now. We'll clear a commitment, come back and have a chat to Maddie Clayton next. Formula One journalist, there's a fair bit going on there. We've seen a few of the seats filled. We've seen Max Verstappen basically stitch up the Formula One Grand Prix Championship. We'll talk about that and a few of the incidents and accidents that happened around that race. few drivers weren't too happy either. We'll be back soon. Sports Day for Kia, the Kia Sportage, Drive Car of the Year. Nice to have your company here on Sports Day and fantastic to have Matty Clayton joining us here on the program. Freelance Formula One journalist and it's a pleasure to have you on the program, Matty. How are you going, mate? G'day, boys. Good to be back on. Uh, there's so much happening in the Formula One world. Now, let's first, if we can, start with uh, Red Bull being accused of breaking the rules to win Verstappen's title. Can you take us through this, please? Well, 
just when we thought the 2021 season hadn't finished, I mean, after all the controversy and everything that happened in Abu Dhabi last year, but uh, look, the sport's now operating under a salary cap for the first time. So each team is permitted to spend 145 million US dollars per team per season. I'll let that number sink in for a second. But Mm. uh, an investigation into the team's accounts for last year found that two teams, Aston Martin and Red Bull, had actually overspent or had breached the uh, regulations according to the salary cap. So Aston Martin's was more procedural. It was literally an accounting mistake. So uh, nothing too interesting there. But uh, Red Bull has been found to have made a minor breach of this budget cap. And a minor breach is up to 5% of an overspend of the cap. So I know 5% doesn't sound like much, but 5% of $145 million, my maths is right, is about seven and a bit million dollars, which when you think how much lap time maybe a million dollars overspend would buy you over the course of the season, it does raise some questions about what they were doing last year. I think the interesting thing here, boys, is that they've been clear, they've been found to have made a breach. What punishment that breach carries, I think, sends a really interesting message going forward for some of these teams because if the punishment is light, then you can quite understandably see some of the other teams saying, well, for the for the punishment we're going to get, we're prepared to overspend. And that's not why this budget cap was brought in. It was brought in to try and bring a more even playing field to Formula One. And in its first season, it's caught out the World Championship from last year. Yeah, US dollars, uh, there's some big money you're talking there. Uh, and it just <sighs> it begs the question, as you said, what will the punishment be? And uh, is the speculation or certainly the, the talk that the world title... In jeopardy, that would be a huge step to take. Yeah, it would be, and in a step, probably a step too far, I would say. It is a inverted commas, minor breach. I, I could see them doing something along the lines of reducing the amount of testing time the team's allowed to have for a season, or even the use of uh, things like wind tunnels where they develop these cars. But, of course, Formula One's not static, and this is where an overspend can have long lasting ramifications. If Red Bull's spending that much money last year, then there's a knock-on effect to make last year's car better for this year and so on and so forth. So, like I said, I think it'll be really interesting. Of course, Ferrari and Mercedes were Red Bull's nearest rivals last year. They, quite on, you know, quite unsurprisingly, are pretty up in arms about this, and they're wondering to see what the punishment will be. Red Bull said they were surprised and disappointed with the decision, which is uh, interesting given that they had to submit the book to the sports governing body to be to be studied. So I can't see them stripping Verstappen of last year's championship or removing constructors' championship points or something like that, but I can see there being some sort of punishment that maybe will try and rein their development back in for future seasons. Right. Well, let's uh, reflect back now on the race on the weekend because uh, we had a lot of uh, incidents and accidents, but uh, there was one that uh, particularly got up uh, the nose of uh, Pierre Gasly, uh, and and this is something that uh, was very, I think, obvious when you heard his comments after the race. Well, absolutely. I mean, the, the race was held in absolutely atrocious conditions in Suzuka in Japan. There were some questions whether it would even start because the sheer amount of spray these cars throw up, if you're the first guy in the queue, then it's fine. You can see where you're going. If you're back in the mid-pack, you can barely see a thing. On the first lap of the race, Ferrari's Carlos Sainz crashed out and bought a piece of advertising signage back out into the middle of the track, which Gasly collected on the way through. So he's gone back into the pits, had the debris removed from his car, taken a fresh set of tyres, and, of course, roared around the track to catch up to the back of the field. 
not realising that there was a flatbed truck parked by the side of the circuit which was retrieving the broken Ferrari of Carlos Sainz. Gasly reckons he missed the truck at north of 230 k's an hour by a couple of metres. And you think of the catastrophic consequences of contact with a stationary object with that weight. I think the reason the drivers were so furious about this, it was only as recently as 2014 when, in similar weather at the same track, a young Monegasque driver, Gilles Bianchi, crashed into a tractor that was retrieving a broken-down car on the side of the circuit. He ended up dying the next year from head injuries, and it was never the same again. He was in a coma for several months. And this is something that you shouldn't need a death in a sport to have a rule change for the sake of common sense. The fact that something very similar could have happened only eight years later, you can see why the drivers were just in complete disbelief about this. And look, the FIA has announced a full investigation into it, but what a recovery vehicle is doing on a live Grand Prix circuit when there's cars on it, just, it just beggars belief, to be honest. Matt, tell us what Daniel Ricciardo is doing next year. It sounds like he's not going to be driving, but that's only from afar. We're hearing some headlines about that. Is that the case? Look, he won't be driving in Formula 1. He won't be racing in Formula 1, I should say, next season. There's still two seats that are unoccupied for next season with the back market teams with Haas and with Williams. He's not in contention for either of those. He wouldn't want them, and they're probably not ready for a driver of his pedigree. So he won't be on the grid in 2023, but what he's hoping... A lot of the seats become available for 2024 and there is some discussion that you may try and take a test driver role with Mercedes or really just sit out and see the landscape. And look, as much as not being on the grid certainly isn't great short term for him, there is historical precedent here where drivers have come back in when a seat at a better team becomes available. Fernando Alonso has done this. Michael Schumacher did it in his career. So... He's still young enough, and I think he's still determined enough. He's only 33. He still wants to be in Formula 1, but not just to make up the numbers and not at any cost. So I think he's kind of biding his time, seeing what the landscape brings up for him next year. So, look, there's four races to go this season. It's putting a pause on his career for the short term, but uh, longer term, I think he'll be doing everything he can to get back in. I guess we'll just have to see where the seats shake out for him. Matt, pleasure having you on the show. Thank you very, very much for your time. Take care, mate. Thanks, boys. Good to chat. Matt Clayton, freelance Formula One journalist, joining us here on Sports Day. And we're here thanks to barbecues galore. Go to iCanWin.com.au to win a Ziggy by Ziggler and Brown barbecue this summer. We'll clear a commitment, come back on the other side. Josh Wise is going to join us. NFL expert. There's been so much action in the world of NFL too, both on and off the field. Sports Day for Kia. The Kia Sportage. Drive car of the year. Nice to have you company here on Sports Day. And as uh, we told you in the last hour and off the top of uh, this one, the Josh uh, Y was going to join us, NFL expert, and they just keep on rolling on the stories. And in the end, uh, roughing the passer calls uh, costing matches. Um, just take us through this scenario, will you, Josh? Welcome, mate. Welcome. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Yeah, the, I don't welcome those calls is what I was going to say. There's some shocking ones today and yesterday, um, um, back-to-back uh after a pretty good season, I think, officiating-wise, it's um, a bit of an exclamation mark this, this week. Is it a case of players a step too late? Uh, do they? Is it officials? Is it the, the scrutiny from television that's causing this crackdown? Um, I'm not really sure. To be honest, both calls, I think, are just bad officiating. Um, today's example, uh, Chris Jones literally had the ball in his hands after recovering a fumble and fell on top of Derek Carr, and, and that was a roughing the passer call, which 
um, is incredible, really, when, when he, he'd stripped the ball and he was possessing the ball. So, um, you know, if Derek Carr doesn't have, the, doesn't have the ball, he's no longer the passer. So um, I don't understand how that was a rough in the passer call, and I don't know how he can stop mid-fall and just miraculously, you know, just counter gravity and, and not fall to the ground. And then uh, yesterday with Grady Jarrett, uh, late in the game, it would have been a, a Buccaneers punt to, you know, down six, the Falcons, they could have, they could have got the ball back and, and, and won the game. And, and uh, yeah, that one was just basically a, a run of the mill sack and Brady kind of looked at the officials and, and a flag got raised. So that one, I'm not really sure. Maybe that's uh feeling a bit sorry for 47-year-old going through divorce, Tom Brady. Mm, Yeah, well, that's a story in itself, isn't it? Uh, Today, of course, the Chiefs over the Raiders, uh, 30-29. to And before you give us a synopsis of that match, speaking of roughing the passer, what about Devontae Adams roughing the cameraman as he left the arena? Uh, Is there a fine coming his way for that? Possibly a suspension as well. Um, You you don't hit hit staff like that. Um, And he's immediately apologised, but um, you know, and, and it wasn't wasn't just a pressure on him. He must apologise. It was a genuine apology from Devante. Like it's not really in his nature for him to behave that way. He's been in the NFL for a long time, and he's he's normally a, a very good, very good player in person. But uh, yeah, I think he just lost his cool in the moment. That's not an excuse. So uh, I'm sure he'll happily pay that fine, and and there could be a one or two game suspension coming his way, and and, and rightly so because you, you can't be doing that. No. Uh, now, mate, it doesn't take long in some of these uh, big sports uh, overseas, and Matt Rule is no longer the ruler of the Carolina Panthers. He's gone, Ski. Yeah, he's gone, rightly so, I think. Uh, 11 wins, 27 losses in his tenure uh, in Carolina. One and four start. Uh, refusal to, to do anything more offensively with Baker Mayfield struggling in that offense over the last couple of weeks, so uh, I think that that was the right call, but I think the Panthers' issues are probably above Matt Rule. Their, their owner is, um, has come out today and said Baker Mayfield will have a say in who the next head coach is, which seems uh, seems a bizarre choice given how uh, how Baker Mayfield is playing for the Panthers. He's, he's a big part of the reason why they're one and four. Now, Josh, you did touch on Tom Brady and this impending divorce. I know it's dangerous territory, but uh, just skipping off the field for a moment or two, I read somewhere, and again, I only read it, that... Uh, his wife was none too pleased with him reversing his decision to retire. Have you read enough to suggest that's a big chunk of uh, why this is going to be a huge settlement and a huge story in the States uh, once it finally uh, comes out and gets uh, sorted financially? Yeah, it's, it's not very often that the uh, you know NFL veteran, one of the highest paid players in an NFL, you know, in the US sporting league, is the second highest income earner in his household. So um, that settlement's... <laughs> Settlement's going to be quite staggering, and I, I, that is what I've read as well. Is that uh, you know he, he did retire because he, you know he's been playing for twenty odd years, in, in you know it's, it takes up a large portion. Even though the, the NFL season's only twenty odd weeks, there's a lot of preparation um, in the off season and, and you know in training camps and what. So it is nearly a full year sort of job being an NFL quarterback. And, and part of the reason you know Tom Brady when he initially retired was to spend more time with his family and, and be a dad, and um, that lasted forty something days and. Um, and he reversed that decision. So, you know, understandably, I'd be, I'd be a little bit mad too because you're thinking you've got help at home, and 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 suddenly that's snatched away, and and you know you've you've got to have to play, you know, play single mum, I guess, for for another NFL season, and you just don't know if if Brady's still got more years left in him. So, you know, there's nothing really holding him back at the moment. The Philly Eagles, uh, they've got a perfect record, five and zip, uh, beating the Cardinals twenty to seventeen. Uh, they haven't um, 
they haven't had a blemish just yet. Are they uh, Super Bowl material, albeit early stages of the year? Yeah, the, the real test is going to be week six here. They're playing uh, the, the, the Cowboys, the 4-1 the and one Dallas Cowboys, who have gone 4-0 and oh with, with Cooper Rush. And the Eagles have a lot of injuries up front on, on that offensive line, including Australia's own Jordan Aylardo. They, they expect him back next week, and they're going to need it against Micah Parsons, who's the defensive player of the year um, at this point through the season, just been an absolute wrecking ball. So this will be a real test for the Eagles. But, um, you know, when they won the Super Bowl all those years ago, that they won it on the principles of having a strong offensive line and a strong defensive line, and, and that's where they are um, here again. They, they can pressure the quarterback and, and protect Jalen Hurts. So I do think they are Super Bowl material, but it just comes down to health and, and, and I guess, how, how well you're playing at the, at the right end of the season. Uh, you mentioned the Cowboys, uh, Dak Prescott. What, what is his issue at the moment? How long before he's back out there? There's, there's talk he might be back next week. So that's going to be the big injury question for, for most of this week. Um, you know, Cooper Rush is undefeated as a starter, but um, I think that's a little bit misleading. He, he only had 10 completed passes in their, in their win against the Rams. So, you know, it's like a group uni assignment. He's just done the bibliography at the end and he's getting all the credit. So um, I'm not really sure that's the right way to look at the Cowboys. I think the right way to look at the Cowboys is that their defense is, is uh, quite... Many thought they, were, they would regress, but they're, they're probably elite. They're probably one or the, the one or two best defenses in the NFL. So, um, if Dak Prescott can return, then they're definitely, you know, that four and one is 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 quite quite incredible. I, I drew a red pen through them when when he went down. So, um, credit to, to Mike McCarthy and, and their coaching staff. Hey Josh, I went and saw of quite a few years ago. Now the Giants player is it Meadowlands over there in in New York, and uh, they yep. were on their way to a Super Bowl win. Ever since then, they've been absolute garbage. But what's happening there now? Is there a resurgence? <laughs> I'm not really sure. They're, they're probably when you look at the analytics and the statistics and and what they've that, what they've achieved. Um, they're probably one of the worst four and one teams. Um, in the last in the last few years, it's it's pretty pretty incredible that they are four and one. But I think that's a that's a legitimate win there against the Packers over in London. It was you know it was a neutral field. It wasn't wasn't at Lambeau, but you know a fourteen point sort of fourth quarter in in the hands of if Saquon Barkley, um, he's probably the comeback player of the year. He's just carrying this team at the moment. But you know they went they went over there with injuries at quarterback, that depleted weapons in 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 the offensive room and in the wide receiver room and. And to come out with that gritty win, I think Brian Dable, the, their new head coach, is a big reason that they are four and one. And and it's just you know, at this time of the year, I think Bill Belichick always says the first sort of quarter of the season is almost like a like a preseason. It doesn't really matter how you win as long as you get those rack those wins up, and then you start to to get into a groove as you head to Thanksgiving and and, and the playoffs. So you know, the four and one Giants. Uh, Surprisingly, in third place, you think you're four and one, you'd be you'd be winning most divisions. But for some reason, the NFC East, uh, formerly called the NFC Least for many years, is, is suddenly the NFC Beast. So um, it's a, it's a tight division race. Good on you, mate. Thank you very much uh, for joining us tonight. Oh, just by the way, before I let you go, uh, has daylight saving made it better or easier for you to uh, tune in and watch uh, Monday night football and all of that other stuff that uh, is going on in your world? Yeah, the alarm uh, the alarm sets an hour. An hour later, it gets better in a couple of weeks when, when the uh, U.S. Uh, move their time zones around and, and suddenly it's a 5 a.m. start for, for Red Zone, which is uh, much more user-friendly, uh, especially when you've got a small child at home. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much. We appreciate your time tonight. <laughs> Cheers, guys. Josh White joining us here on Sports Day, the NFL expert. Uh, thanks to Kia, Australia's most wanted, the Kia EV6 and Kia Sportage Cars of the Year. Peter Harris is going to join us next. He's the state 
manager for bowls here in WA. We'll have a chat to him next. Sports Day for Kia. The Kia Sportage. Drive car of the year. Now, we finish off here tonight with Green to Green. Thanks to Barra and O'Day because the little things are everything and it's fantastic to have Peter Harris on tonight. So Bowls WA State Manager Pete, welcome. Thanks, gentlemen. It's good to be here. Uh, now, uh, everyone else is over on the Gold Coast. Are they having fun? Uh, I'm sure that they are having fun. They're, what are they, a couple of hours in front of us? So they've probably finished their fun and they should be tucked up in bed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What about the national championships? Uh, can you update us on what happened there? Uh, well, we had the state teams last week uh, and the open teams. Uh, the ladies finished third, uh, won five out of seven, so had a really good tournament, but uh, Queensland and New South Wales just a little bit too strong for us. And the men finished fourth and also won four out of three, so both had really good tournaments. They were really competitive. Uh, they were playing for a silver medal in the last game for the, against New South Wales and the men. Uh, only went down by a couple. Uh, so really competitive, and it was really, really good week. Absolutely. And now, we touched on Queensland at the start of this chat. Uh, what's happening up there, and can you tell us a bit more about some of the, the results from a, a WA perspective? Yep. So Australian Championships, where all the state winners get together, that only started, what day are we? Tuesday. only started yesterday um, uh, in the mixed pairs, so that's the only uh, event that's been completed. Uh, so we just had Justin Opie and Helen Morse. They finished... They played off for a bronze medal. Unfortunately, didn't win that game, so they finished fourth. Uh, today was the triples, or is the triples. Uh, your friend, Mr. Slavich. Oh, mm. uh, Chevy, unfortunately, didn't have a great day. Um, they only won one game out of, out of three, so they didn't make the finals. And our girls are playing for gold uh, sometime tonight. I'm not sure what time that is. It's probably, it may even be completed, but I don't have a result for you. But they're actually playing for gold against, uh, that's Kay Blackwell, Rhonda Prosser and Kerry Anderson, against a, a reasonable team led by uh, Karen Murphy and uh, Ellen Ryan, who's obviously just back from Commonwealth Games gold in the singles and pairs. So uh, they got a big gummy ahead of them. Probably on right now, if uh, if you're quick, or it might even be finished, but I'm not sure. All right, Pete, good on you, mate. Well, thank you very much for joining us tonight, and uh, we'll touch base again next week. Thank you, mate. Certainly, we'll have results from the pairs, fours, and singles, which is later in this week. Good on you, Peter Harris. There, Bowls WA State Manager. Thanks to Baron O'Day's uh, Green to Green. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. And thanks to Baron O'Day because the little things are everything on this day. Yes, in 1930, going back a fair while, Collingwood won the VFL Premiership for the fourth consecutive year. No other VFL or AFL team has achieved this since Collingwood in 1930. Of course, Brisbane came relatively close back at the start of this century. And it's been a busy show tonight. Thanks to Baron O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Todd Johnston is on your radio next. He'll take you right through until midnight here on 8.82 6pr. And we'll be back to do it all again tomorrow. Just remember, it's the last day of trading. I wonder if we're going to see any more dominoes fall. I reckon we will, given the theme of things. We've seen a hell of a lot of movement in the AFL and we'll cover all of the other news in sport. But right now, it's time for the 8.82 6pr news. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semi finals, all thanks to McDonald's. Mackers, together and loving it. TNCs apply.